blame oh, for that. I was you the could one blaming him with that. that. Austin Matthews, very good two-way forward. Nobody's saying Carson wants us to go. Oh, your team sucks, Barker. Pick one. And before Miami fan over here starts talking. Blasphemous. And I'll tell you why. What does that tell you? He's terrible. I'm not out here saying Tom Brady's bad. Yeah, you are. Listen, Gary. <laughs> I'm saying pick it. What's going on, everyone? Thank you for listening to the Daft Picks podcast. It's episode 50, finally. Join me today, as always, is our producer, Parker. Hello. And Adam. Hello. Finally, after what seems like several years, we do have a, a lot of news this week. Thank God. We'll start with Pat Mahomes. Parker, why don't you break it down for us? All right, so Pat Mahomes just signed for a 10-year extension worth $450 million that bumps up to $503 million with playoff incentives and all these extra bonuses. Yeah, he just passed Mike Trout as the richest athlete by contract. I saw back when Trout signed his deal, it was uh, there was a statistic that he would basically make for every fly ball he hit or every at bat he took, he'd make three thousand dollars, and every ten minutes he was on the field, he'd make ten grand. So figure that's roughly the same for Patrick Mahomes now. Do you think he's worth it at least? I'd think so. I think the important thing we gotta remember with NFL contracts that he's probably not gonna see all of that money. Some of that's probably going to be in like signing bonuses or roster bonuses. And then there's the guaranteed money. We don't know how much of this is guaranteed. Right. So the important part here is going to see how much of it's guaranteed, how much of it's a roster bonus, how much of it's incentives. But one report that I did see that I kind of wish happened is I wish he signed it so that the amount he gets would be like a percent of the team's cap. Because I feel like Pat Mahomes will have been the only player to be able to leverage that kind of a contract. And I think that would be very interesting to see. Because right now with this contract, he's making about like $40 million a season. In five years, he's probably going to be making below market value. So the thing with his contract that I don't necessarily love is the 10 years. Because he's 23. He'll be at the end of his prime when this deal ends. Which, of course, you don't sign the deal to appease team only. Sure, he won the 10 years, which is good for him. But uh, I don't know if his body's going to last. I really don't think the type of player he is is going to last for 10 years like like that. That's just me. Again, we have to see how the full contract is structured. This could be kind of like the Tom Brady contract from a few years ago, where it's like a multi-year deal, and then it's really just like a bunch of one-year deals tacked onto it with an out. Yeah, it could be. And then, like, maybe front-load it, too, so he gets all the pay up front yeah, now, like, basically. Like, I was looking at it, and it's like, year four, he has, like, a 60 million cap hit. It's very high. It'll be interesting to see if he lives up to it. I mean, I think he's the best quarterback right now. I mean, I personally think it's a good contract, because, again, I remember when Aaron Rodgers signed for his contract, like, way back in 2012, and that was for $120 million, and I was like, holy shit. That's a big contract. And now we're seeing a contract that's like five times bigger than it. And I yeah, think you, that also, that also yeah. kind of reflects like just how much the salary cap is going up in the NFL. See, I definitely agree with you that it's a good contract. It's just you never, I mean, realistically, you don't ever want to sign somebody that long term because teams will never learn. They're always going to give out stupid contracts. Well, but... the nice thing about having him sign for that long is, again, he's going to be making $40 million, like eight years from now. We don't know how much more quarterbacks are going to be making in the next 10 years. Right, so you're banking on the market. Correct. You know, because, again, right, Aaron Rodgers, back in 2012, was making, like, 20 a season, 10 a season. I forget. I, I can't do math. <laughs> but pretty much, he, he's making a lot more than, well, a lot of people considered the best quarterback in the league. Right. On that front of things with the NFL sticking with them, so we had the Redskins name change, potentially, right? Yeah, there, so there's like been thing. a bunch of different ideas that I've been throwing out there. I like the, I forget the name of it, but it's like the one with the, the airplane. It's like the Spitfires or something. I don't know. Oh, I just yeah, yeah, that's not a bad idea. It'll be interesting to see if they change their colors too, because I mean, I always thought the Redskins jerseys were hideous. So <laughs> you can't say any other team quite has that color scheme. So they do what, have that vo- going vomit and gold. Yeah, you're um, not wrong. Yeah, vomit and gold. Yeah, <laughs> and then. Before we hop off of the NFL, the Cam Newton stuff with him signing with the Patriots, did we get to that last show? I don't think we did. No. Okay. So he obviously signs with the Patriots. That's a really big deal. The fact that he is going to play for Bill Belichick is a little scary. 
that move by the Patriots to get Cam Newton is probably, in my opinion, it's going to hurt them in the long run more than it's going to help them. Yeah. I think it's going to help them for this season. But when you've lost your franchise quarterback that you've had for 20 years and your next best guy was Jared Stidham, where I don't think Jared Stidham is an NFL quarterback, but I think that the Patriots should have done better than just getting a guy who's going to help them for like one year, maybe two. I think that they should have just went, let's see what we could do with Jared Stidham. If he doesn't work out, we're going to be bad and drafted another quarterback who will help us for a career, not piecing together to try to be playoff contenders like I feel like they're doing with Cam Newton. I don't think you can have a Bill Belichick team that tanks or does badly because you already lost your core quarterback. If you decide that you're going to tank the team, Belichick's not going to stay around. Why would he? He's very egotistical. We know that. And we know he's not going to let that happen. He would easily go to another contender before he tanks for a, a rookie quarterback that might not pan out. Well, so, keep, in, keep in mind what I think what the tanking would be is, even with Jared Stinham at quarterback, I believe that Belichick in his system that he has in, in the Patriots that he's had forever is still good enough that with Jared Stinham as a quarterback, I could still see them going 8-8. Eight and eight. I don't know if that's acceptable for Belichick, though. Yeah, Belichick... Like, even the one year he didn't have Tom Brady and he had Matt Castle at quarterback, they still went, like, 11-5. and five. Like, Belichick hasn't had a losing season since he coached for the... Browns. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I believe it was the Browns. I just don't see that happening. If you declare that you're going to restart the franchise, like, over again, that's fine. You can, I'm sure you can get something for Edelman. There's players on the team you could move as well if you need to. Yeah, both their safeties, their linebackers. Yeah, you can tear that team down, I mean, and, and start it back up. But part of me doesn't see Bob Kraft doing that either. I think he'd rather sell the team after they're completely done. I really don't think he's going to stick around and doing one either. I'm not going to say that, but I actually kind of like this signing. I don't think there's, like, a negative to it. Because, like, it's really just a one-year deal that at max is worth $7.5 and most of the contracts incentive-based. So it's like, it's really just you're banking on upside. So, like, if Newton's fully healthy, he could be a league MVP. If he struggles with injuries, then really New England's not going to have to pay him next year. So it's really like, okay, let's sign him, see how it goes. If anything, the offense might be a little bit better with Cam Newton because he won't be uh, just checking the ball down because that's really what Tom Brady did a lot of last year was just do check downs because he couldn't really ball. push it down the field. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Moving off the Patriots and more specifically moving off the NFL, we finally got the hub cities for the NHL. It was Toronto and Edmonton. I think we, we talked about this last show and like the previous three shows that that was probably going to be the situation after Vancouver pulled out. I personally think these are two good cities. What do you guys think? I've been listening to a lot of sports talk shows on the NHL network around this whole selection of the hub cities and how like Vegas kind of fell off the face of the earth on the selection in the past couple of weeks due to spikes in COVID cases again. And throughout the entire time, Edmonton has been like promoting their city, wanting to do this. Like we, I always had a feeling that Toronto was going to be one of them because hockey's hub city in general without anything is Toronto. So it was kind of given that Toronto was going to be one of them, but Edmonton coming out of the background to being that one hub city, I think it's going to be really good for the city. Like all the people that I've been hearing talk about it is not necessarily that it's going to be a money kind of thing good for the city, but a morale boost for the city because it's kind of coming back to a normal, not going back to an entirely normal situation, but it's making stuff feel a little bit more normal than it has been before. Right. Well, I think the thing with Toronto Edmonton that's kind of good is that they kept it localized in one country. Canada's cases are way down. And you think about the NHL as a whole, there's a statistic. It's basically like 55 point something percent of players are Canadian. So you figure they have more opportunities to go home. They're comfortable there. The staff and trainers are all pretty much the same. There's a big demographic of Canadian personnel in the NHL. So I think it makes a lot of sense that they get to basically play. They, everybody gets to play home game, you know what I mean? So that'll be interesting. I think Edmonton's a good city, too, as well. Like I think Toronto's a good city. 
there's a lot of opportunities. A lot of players are from the GTA. And I think Edmonton as well, you get that east-west. You could take games if you need to. You don't need to play them live because there's no fans. I think it's a good decision. The NHL's done a really good job with this so far, I think. Yeah, what they decided is also that when it hits the Stanley Cup final, all of the games are going to be in Edmonton. They're not hopping between hub cities, correct? Yeah, I think it was something like that. Like, I think it's basically something like they're going to play in one yeah. city. So they were they were talking that, uh, especially with how the, the draft lottery is now, that after the play-in round is over, all of those teams will be put in for the next lottery for number one pick. And they were saying that how weird and how disappointing it would be if Edmonton, being one of these teams that have to play a qualifier now, gets knocked out when their hub city could go all the way to the Stanley Cup, basically <laughs> having home It'll definitely be interesting. I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing that it's going to be in Edmonton because here's the other thing I, I question is it's very realistic that Toronto and Edmonton can both be the final teams. I mean, I don't think it's that unfair to say that Edmonton's a contender and the Leafs as well. That would be really wild, wouldn't it? Yeah, the two Hub City teams make it to the, the final. You'd have a little bit of controversy because the, whole, the Hub City well, team is rigged, but it, it'll be good no matter who gets there. Edmonton, if they, I think it was Edmonton who, if they got like one more win, they were a, they were a top four team that was safe for the play-in as opposed to having to play the play-ins now. So the other thing we talked about is there's a bunch of teams that are in the play-in that are in competition for the first of all pick for Alexis Lafreniere. You weren't here for this discussion last week, so I'll ask you the same question. Obviously, the Lightning can't get it. They don't have their pick. The Penguins can. What happens if the Avalanche get the first overall pick? They can't. Oh, they are one of the teams that can't? They don't have a... Yeah. With, you know, it's only the teams in the yeah, play-in round the that top, have a shot at the oh, first pick. Yeah, only the teams in the play-in have a shot at it. All eight teams that lose the play-in have their first-round pick put in for a re-lottery for the number one pick and then numbers the rest of them up until 15. So I'm glad that they did that system where the top four teams in each conference cannot go into the lottery i'll answer it that way since colorado cannot because it would really be unfair if you had an upset like let's say if they did all the teams had to do a play-in until we got eight teams and colorado got knocked out how unfair is it that one of the teams that all season long like other me not be me trying not to be biased other analysts and other sports commentators said that Colorado was a legitimate cup contender this year and still believe it now with like this restart up and a lot more players are going to be healthy. Colorado still being that contender, how unfair it would be if they got Alexis Lafreniere number one overall when they don't deserve it because they're not bad. Well, I think it would be an interesting change of pace to see a franchise like true number one overall pick to go to a team that isn't bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, One I, of the I, things that I don't like is that it's just a one-eighth chance of all the losers. I'm not I, – I think they made the right steps forward, but in my mind they should have done whoever has the lowest winning percentage has the highest chance for that number one pick out of the people who lose. So hypothetically, if Montreal lost, they were at 500 winning percentage they would have the highest chance to get that number one overall pick if they lose the play-in. And if Pittsburgh also loses instead of Montreal, they have the highest winning percentage out of the teams that are in the play-in. So they would have the lowest chance to get that number one overall pick. That's what I think they should have done as opposed to just saying 12.5% for every team that loses and then we re-roll. I don't agree with that because now it's going to be really weird if Edmonton gets knocked out first in the play-in and Pittsburgh does all those high-ranking teams, and they get Lafreniere when they're not in a rebuild. They're legitimate cup contenders and legitimate teams. I'm not saying that Montreal isn't, but they kind of really got gifted this play-in berth, if you will, as opposed to Buffalo, who needed one more win, and they would be in instead. I've got a really easy, simple fix for that. Just don't be bad. That's all you got to do. And I'll say this about the draft lottery. I'm going to sound biased, but, man, I really... This is the year where there is literally no lose scenario for the Penguins. Or many other teams. Like, 
you either make anybody a anybody in the play-in, anyone in the play-in, yeah, it's in a the play-in, yes, because you either get a chance at the cup and get and very very low end thing, you get to give the fans something to cheer about and your team makes money because you're going deeper in the playoffs, or you lose the play-in and you maybe win. The reason your team is great for the next decade. I mean, I'm just like taking it from my perspective. If the Penguins win, they move on, they do good, maybe get a chance for the cup, another run with Crosby and Malkin. If we lose and we get Lafreniere, I mean, is okay, here's the question. For, You've basically I, done a rebuild without doing a rebuild at that point. Do, is, as okay, long as Lafreniere pans out. Take this for any team. Is winning Lafreniere this year better than winning the cup? Because I think it is. And I'll tell you why. I think if you get Lafreniere, you get a chance at multiple cups. You, the, you can only win at most one cup this season. If you're a team that really needs it, like, I don't think the Sharks are in the playoffs. I'm pretty sure they're not. If they were no, in they're it, not. They're, they're in the regular lottery pick. They're somewhere from one through nine. I mean, two for, through nine. Well, I said, well, actually, that's Ottawa's pick now. I think that was the fourth overall pick they got, or the third overall yep. that they got. Um, Three so, and five. One of them was San Jose's. Yeah, so, so take the Predators, for example. A team like them, you probably would rather get the cup over Wolfrenier, okay? They're a team that's going to have to rebuild regardless pretty soon, even a slight rebuild because they're losing a goalie, they're losing 85% of their defense, and their forwards are really not that good. However, if you're a team like the Rangers, the Penguins, the Canadians, Edmonton, or whoever else is in play-in, I don't know the play-in teams. If you're, if you're a play-in team... I think you take Lafreniere over the cup because he's guaranteeing you a shot at that for the next decade plus, most likely. I don't know. I'm not saying teams are going to intentionally lose. That would be dumb. I'm saying teams are definitely going to play for the cup. But if you do lose, are you really that upset? Yeah, I don't think anyone who loses the play-in, especially if they get that number one pick, they're not going to be upset. No. I'm, I'm like, like if Arizona, right if Pittsburgh... If Montreal, if Edmonton, any of those playing teams lose in the first round and they get the number one overall pick, I don't think any of them are, are going to be complaining. No. No. Another thing I wanted to get to, because we're sort of in that vein, is we know Seattle's team is going to be announced sometime this decade. Sometime <laughs> before the expansion draft. So I asked this to Parker last week. Uh, I'm going to kind of ask it more generally now. So with the expansion draft coming up, you get to pick one player your team loses. A good contract, bad contract. What player do you want your team to lose? If it's a player you don't like, what player do you want your team to lose? I'll start with Parker. Parker, what player do you want the Lightning to get rid of for the expansion team? Dream scenario. It would be one of Andre Palat, Alex Kalorn, or Tyler Johnson. Really? I know you like TJ, too. I love TJ, but it's like Tampa has exceptional center depth. I'd be okay with him going, and to be honest... Ever since that 2015 Cup run, I think that was his peak. I think we're starting to see the player that TJ is, and he's really just a Bad. second, third-line guy. I think out of all those for the Lightning, I'd probably rather Kalorn go, because he's the least yeah, useful. I'd, yeah, I would most rather Kalorn, but I'd be okay if we lose TJ or Palat as well. Okay. Adam, how about you? Is there a player or players you'd like to see go? Out of Colorado's roster, I would say that I would be... I would want either Ian Cole or Eric Johnson to go. I would be okay with Jonas Donskoy or Tyson Jost. Any of those four players, I would be good with or okay with losing. Basically, what it comes down to is depth that Colorado currently has, especially with Tyson Jost at the, t- the center position. We have so many centers in the Colorado system that are able to come up. Like Martin Cout made a good bid for coming up in the NHL system due to injuries this year. I think that before the pause, Martin Kaut was actually starting to be a really good like third-line center for the first-round pick that he was when we drafted him a few years back. I believe it was 2017 or 2018. Um, I think, yeah. Yeah. And with Don Scoy, he was a free agent grab that we got, so we wouldn't be losing too much in him. He's a second-line forward, yes, but we have enough depth in Colorado that we can afford to lose him. He's one of our oldest, oldest wingers, so it's like there's that. With Eric Johnson and Ian Cole, I don't like Eric Johnson's contract, especially with how injury-prone he is. I think, yes, he's a decent defenseman, but when he's playing, I would say Eric Johnson would be my number one. I want Seattle to take this guy away from me. 
And Ian Cole, it's just he's older, but he's a good defenseman for us. I know that you don't necessarily like Ian Cole, but with I like the depth that Colorado has at the depth that Colorado has at the defense position, especially with getting prospect defensemen like Bowen Byram or Callie Rosen, we have the depth that we can put somebody younger in that fits in with the young, fast, offensive, heavy defense style that Colorado's been grooming with Kale McCarr, Sam Girard, Ryan Graves that kind of feel that we're getting out of this Colorado defense and Eric Johnson and Ian Cole don't fit that anymore. Okay. I mean, dude, I don't think Eric Johnson ever really fit that defense because he's not really a defender. I know that also yeah. people think. So I, for, so I mean, those are, I would say out of that too, like Jan's Donsko is probably the one you're okay with losing the most. For Pittsburgh, I've been on a tangent for a while now. So there's two players I would love to see us lose. The one player I'm like, okay, maybe Nick Bukestad, I really don't like what he brings fits and he's always hurt i have nothing against him personally but like i don't know i think he's kind of a waste of space the player i think that will get taken and i'm okay with it is patrick hornquist his contract sucks he's signed for three more years he's literally never playing anymore and he's not even really that useful the player i want to see go though and because he's caused so many issues is tristan jerry i don't think he's a goalie of the future i don't think he's the goalie of the now his numbers suggest he's not even a good goalie. He's just very floppy. I think about James Reimer had the had really the same pedigree and the same style of play and even the same numbers. I don't think you bank that on James Reimer, a player like that who's a backup for a team that doesn't have a good goalie. That's what Jari's predestined to be. I think you get rid of Tristan Jari. Seattle would love to take him. I mean, we know that. Ron Francis was a part of the Penguin system, I believe, when they drafted him. He probably knows at least a little bit about him, at least as a GM. And when it comes down to it, I trust Murray into Smith way more in the crease than I would with Tristan Jerry. So that's why I say him, but I'd be okay with Hornquist going to because quite honestly, he's trash nowadays, at least. Yeah, I believe it. I would say that I would agree along more with Jari just because of how much depth Pittsburgh does have in the goaltending position. It's like, it seems like no matter how many injuries you guys had throughout the years, whether you still had Flurry and Murray on the team, it seems like whoever you guys put in net from your systems in Wilkes-Barre or even going down as far as the ECHL because you guys were really injured, it seems like you guys always had a goalie who can at least make you contend in every game. Well, yeah, that's what I said. I mean, again, not to get too far off, but, like, we have DeSmith under control for two more years for a million dollars. Why not ride him? I mean, it's, it's going to cost way more. So that's why I think, as far as Pittsburgh goes, it'll be interesting to see the expansion draft, how that plays out. And we, of course, we're not at the end of the show yet, but we will be doing a draft episode at some point. The draft is going to be in like late July, I think, right? The rest of the draft lottery is going to be the week after the playing round Play. is over. And right. The cup will be given out around early October. That's so we're I looking thought. at the draft being mid-late October, depending on how free agency lines up. Okay. Holy crap. I know. So it seems like we're going to have a really, really fast like restart for the 2020-2021 okay. season. So it looks like the season's going to start either in December or January. January, right. Now, let me ask you, too. So, Parker, start with you. Dream playoff scenario for Tampa. Who do you want to face in the cup final if you get there? Wait, dream matchup? So, give, me, so like, give me the Minnesota Wild, please. Okay. Please, easy sweep. <laughs> okay. That kind of goes. I would, with Colorado. I would say with Colorado, I would want to play against either Toronto or Philadelphia. Ooh, why? With Toronto, they are. It, from what I've seen, Colorado play against them. Even this year, we were able to get both of our games against them before the pause. Colorado played well against them in the fact that Toronto is a mix of a speed team and a physical team, depending on what line's on the ice. And Colorado has the speed now to skate, if not skate faster than them when their speed guys are out there. And their physicality, they can handle them. And same thing with Philly. They're not a fast team. They rely heavily on their grit. And Colorado skates around that grit. And we played well against them in both of our games against them this year. So I would want Toronto or Philly, just what off I saw of the regular season this year before the pause. Would Steve Dangle explode if Nazem Kadri won the cup in Toronto because it's a hub city? I think, I think he would die. <laughs> <laughs> he 
It would be uh, just like what happened with Phil Kessel when he won the cup after leaving Toronto. Why you gotta bring that up? Why you gotta bring up Phil Kessel? <laughs> why you gotta do that? That's rude. How rude of you? Because now let me ask you this: for Pittsburgh, I'll tell you my scenarios. There's two. I would absolutely love to play Edmonton because it's Crosby McDavid. That would be a lot of fun. I think that there's literally no defense or goaltending. You just you honestly just give Matt Murray and Mike Smith like, like a regular stick and let them skate out. To, to quote the Malkin quote, I think it was, I am score. That's just yeah. what that series is. That's be literally like. just going to be 8 7 every game. The other team that I'd love to play is actually the Avalanche because I think Crosby McKinnon would be a hell of a. That would be a well. very good matchup, especially with both teams being healthy. I think the only yeah. player that won't be healthy for Colorado is Colin Wilson. Yeah, the only player. So I know you have you have a really really good matchup in Pittsburgh, Colorado, if they get to it. Right, because the only player that's out for the Penguins long term is Teddy Bluger. Which, no offense to Teddy Bluger, he's not that important. He's not a make or break a cup for you guys. Like if Crosby was out, and, and again, really pack on Malkin and Latang. That's another series where I'm like, no defense, because your arguable best defense. Well, okay, Kale McCarr might say. But your veteran defenseman, Eric Johnson, is a turnstile. Chris Latang is a turnstile. So there's literally, yeah. there's no defense. Goaltending, forget it. That would be hilarious. It's a speed show. It's a speed show. What? Wait, I can't say goaltending, forget it, because in the playoffs last year, Philip Grubauer stood on his head. He was the reason why we kicked out Calgary in the first round last year. In, in playoff hockey, if Philip Grubauer can show up like he did last year, goaltending would show up. But typically, yeah, you're right. So if you will allow me to give my non-meme answer, I would like to see Tampa and the Dallas Stars. I think it would be really interesting to see Tampa go against former goaltender Ben Bishop. Oh, that would be good, actually. It would be even something better if Ben Bishop played through that Stanley Cup with another torn groin like he did with you guys when you lost. I miss Ben Bishop so much, honestly. He was so good. I know we're he in a better is. position with Vasilevsky just on age, but like I just loved watching Big Ben play. Like it, it was just he was just so dominating in game clinchers, which Vassy isn't. So he never... still is now, honestly. Like last year in the playoffs for Dallas, it it wasn't his fault he let up that goal to Pat Maroon in the overtime in game seven. Like God, that it, Ben Bishop backpacks in playoffs, and he just can't get it. He just can't get it done. I'll never, ever forget the time we were playing NHL, the, the game, and I convinced you that Ben Bishop's first name was Ben. We're not going to talk about it. Oh, rip. Still all-time great moment. Okay. Also, I didn't get to mention this earlier, but when you were talking about would a team rather win the cup or get Lafreniere, mm-hmm. I'm going to say I'd rather get the cup. Because I've been looking at future draft classes, and one that really gets my eye is 2022. I'm not sure if you know the the prospects that are in that draft, but people are saying there's going to be a three-headed monster with these three kids called Shane Wright, Matthew Savoie, and Brad Lambert. Okay. Yes, and I have a tangent to go on. So let Ooh, me know. Okay. So, All I right. mean, I, me personally, I would rather try to win the cup and then maybe get a chance at one of those three. Because the people that would be going, like, right after them are still going to be pretty good, too. Because each of those three sort of has, like, you know, a case to be the number one pick for that draft. I'm waiting I mean, for He's getting his notes up. Okay, so the thing about that draft is, Parker, and I need to mark this explicit again. I'm sorry. They're absolutely fucking wrong. So I am not a big believer in Matt Savoy. I don't think he's got the skills. That, I'm really surprised he's been a high prospect, honestly. I've never liked his game. Maybe by then, I'll be turned around because the last player I said that about, I was turned around on, that was Jonathan Drouin, who I loved coming out of the junior, but he also sucked. So, Matt Savoy, I don't believe in. I don't be, I, I'm not going to say I don't believe in Lambert. I think he's the best of the three. I think he's the most complete player. I do like him to a certain extent. I haven't done a ton of research on him. The one that I'm going to say is not going to be good at all, I really think Shane Wright's a bust. I don't like his game. I don't think he's responsible. I don't think he plays a good offensive game either. And I think he's been billed as like this really good goal scorer. I really don't think he's got the finesse to make it in the NHL. And I, the three-headed monster thing, I've heard that before. That was literally the Alexander Digg draft. Like, I, I don't believe at all for a second. The draft that I'm worried about is the, the there's prospects in 2021. I think there's, there's, there's two goalie prospects. I think it's Wollinder, the goalie, or Wollinder. 
it, I really like Wall him. State's 2021. Wall State, yeah. I like him. I think he's going to be good. He's obviously not a first overall pick. I don't think that's really. But I like 2021's draft class. Let me pull that up, actually, because I had some notes. If, you, if you'd like to, you can dissect my tangent if you'd like to while I'm looking that up. I'm going to stay out of the prospect argument because I don't – I'm not going to lie. I don't start looking at prospects until that draft year because, in my personal opinion, unless you get an absolute phenom at age of 15, I'm not looking at you until it's the year of your draft because I think it's way too early to tell. I did not hear of Connor McDavid until it was his draft. I did not hear of Nathan McKinnon until it was his draft. Any big number one overall pick the past 10 years since I really started watching the draft, I did not even start looking at until they were becoming – it was that draft year because I always believe it's too early to tell. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I feel like – like with some prospects, I feel like, again, like with 2022, these kids are like 15, 16 right now. Right. Like they, they could easily develop their game a lot more. And the thing is with Matt Savoy and Shane Wright is that they both applied for exceptional status in the CHL, and Shane Wright actually got it. I think that's kind of – you can't really overlook that, I don't think. You can. No, you absolutely can because a lot of players do get it and don't deserve it. The last person to get it was Sean Day. Tell me what team Sean Day plays for. Who? Exactly. He plays for the Rangers. Sean Day got acceptable stuff, and not all the time do those players end up getting drafted like that. I remember for a while, I was really high on a guy named Xavier Perl. I said he was the next big thing. He had like 170 points in like 30 games in like might. He is projected to be like a four pick. Got like 30 points in juniors this year. That's what happens when you project far out. I've heard a lot about Shane Wright. Honestly, the earliest I've heard of Shane Wright was the year after Matthews, so that he should draft. I had first heard of Shane Wright back then. He was like, at that point, he was like still playing midget hockey. So he's not, you know, going to be a lot of news. But, it, you know, you look ahead to the like the early production. I just don't believe I'll tell you who I do believe in. Have you seen the 2021 draft class? Yeah, the head guy for there is like Adu Radi. Adu Radi. And I, I really like Adu Radi a lot. I think, honestly... Sasha Barkov is a really good comparable. Like, I, I really think he's got the same skills. I think you take that all the time. There's a few other players in that draft list I brought you. I like Dylan Genter. Owen Power, I'm not sold on, but it's really tough to project junior hockey defensemen, especially in the American League. Oh, Hughes never... is in that draft, too. Yeah, he, well, he is. He is indeed. There's a few other, like, Carson Lambos is doing well right now. I'm looking at the draft list right now. The one, I there's two players I think you should keep an eye on. Artem Grushnikov is good, not great. Keep an eye out for him. And Danil Cheka, I see he's slipped down to 28 here on my production. He's a lot better than that. The other one is Jesper Wallstadt. Again, goalies almost never go high. It would not be that surprising to see him go mid-round. And if you needed a reason to, to look at this draft class, the Avalanche were predicted to pick somebody named Cameron Why Not. So why not? <laughs> It, this is the 2021 draft is a lot better than 2022 in my opinion. I just I have a hard time getting behind that 2022 draft class. And you know how like heavy I go on draft picks. So I got a question for you then. I, I know that we've all talked about the number one overall pick for this draft, Alexi Lafreniere. What do you think of the depth in this draft class? I think in the top like in the top ten, it's really good. Like, the depth for th this first round is going to be really good. Because from what everyone talks about is that it's Lafreniere and then everybody else. But mm -hmm. from what I mean, uh, it's seems... no. no, 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 no. Well, so. that's what people are talking about. That's what mm -hmm. people are talking about because everyone gets the number one overall pick in their mind, even though from what I've seen, picks number two through, like, eight or nine, in my opinion, are NHL-caliber players right off the get-go, maybe a couple years of development. And then they're in. So here's the, I'm, I'll tell you why you're, whatever you've been listening to is a little bit wrong. So it, since January, I remember even, there was talk that Lafreniere, they, they have, so they've, um, are you familiar with the draft ranking system from the prospect scouts and interpersonal scouting? Uh, vaguely, yes. So essentially in around January, you get the semifinal scouting report out of Europe and America and Canada, you know, North America you get that final scouting or semifinal. So basically what they do is they take a look at the prospects and they look at who is the projected number one overall pick. So for this year, it was Alexis Lafreniere. And they asked several head scouts, rank this player 
is the next best player, so in this case, it's Quentin Byfield. Is he worlds apart from him? Is like no contest? Is it close? Is it kind of close? Or is it so close you can't tell? Several scouts said it was so close you can't tell. There were The resounding thought was that Lafreniere is head and shoulders the best. However, it is not like the Connor McDavid draft where it was like, yes, no, he's literally the McCampus player here. So, Quentin Byfield will also be an NHL buddy. I, I've already said I think he's going to play this year. I, it wouldn't be surprising if he went back to junior, but I really think he's going to play this year all well, as well as Lafreniere. So that's that. And you asked about the draft depth, right? Yeah. So, in the top five, Tim Stutzel could easily be a number two pick in any other draft. He's great. He really looks a lot like Leon Dreisaitl. Not just because he's a German player, but because he has that same style. There's two... There's a pure playmaker and a pure sniper in, in Raymond and Holtz. Marco Rossi is really highly touted. There's two great defensemen in Jamie Drysdale and Jake Sanderson. There's a goalie, Yaroslav Askarov, we've talked about. Even if you go off of the draft ranking I'm looking at, they have Anton Lundell at number 11. That's a really deep draft. There's players in the 15th to 20s like Connor Zari and Hendrix LaPierre who could be better picks. And even at the end of the draft, I look at guys like Jan Misak and Jake Neighbors who are projected 30-31. They're still going to be useful top sixers, uh, respectively. I think in terms of drop depth, it's not the best. It's not going to be like 2015 or 2013. However, I think look at Matthew's draft. It's comparable to that. Okay. So that's what I would say. Another um, prospect that I discovered that mm-hmm. I'm going to keep an eye out on uh, is in 2024, this defenseman called Aaron Kiviaru. Oh, uh, Kiviaru, yeah. Apparently he's supposed to be like really good. It's real again, it's so, so tough to protect defensemen because will they be like, okay, I think about the best defensive like player, like prospect in the NHL right now, like that's sort of young, it's Kale McCarr because he defends really, 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 really well. He Especially play- for a guy his size. He's undersized yeah. borderline. He's fleet footed, he's smart with a puck. You don't get players like that very often. Like he is special. I can't even tell you the last defenseman who came out of the draft that was both offensive and defensive. Like, a lot of people gave it... I would say the next, like, most reliable like that, maybe you give it to Shea Weber or Duncan Keith because those two were really good defensively and offensively. That's Kale McCarr. It's really So, tough. basically, it, just to, like, throw questions out, out at you, Kale McCarr did develop in college hockey for a year or two at University of Massachusetts. What, what do you think of because he was a top four pick what do you think of like before he came into the nhl a lot of people were like what the heck he's not nhl right now he's a top five pick you'd think he should be by now what do you think of those players that don't go back to juniors but go to college and play ncaa before they go nhl i'd say that so college hockey i think is tougher i think if you choose to go to college hockey you're probably going to be nhl ready quicker I think if you're playing against, because, okay, in terms of NHL players, you're playing against men at that point. You're not playing against boys. Junior hockey, you're playing against guys who are ha- literally four years your junior. So I think when you're playing against players in college who are the best of them, you're, there's less age discrepancy, at least like hockey intelligence age. So Caleb McCall, I wasn't sold on him either. I kind of asked you, like, what the hell was that pick? Like, I knew he had offensive talent. It was the defense I was worried about, and you can never defense because you're taking you're taking against men, and then you're going up against Sidney Crosby, Patrick Kane, Conor David. That's a different level. You know what I mean? That's like trying to yeah. get your driver's license on a car and then having to go drive a boat. It's not the same. That's what I would say. What else you got? So, who in this draft then, hopping off of that, do you have that? feeling that they're not NHL ready now, but after a year or two of development, either going back to juniors or going college, you think would make a giant impact. Like, not necessarily exactly the same as Kale McCarr because not everybody can jump from playing in the national championship, basically getting getting league MVP in college, and then jumping into game three of the Stanley Cup playoffs and make an immediate impact. Who do you think can benefit most out of this top 10 for going to college or going back to juniors 
I'll tell you there's two players. It's Jake Sanderson, because he's already in the USA NTDPL. So he'll be getting a chance to play. With, right now he's playing with the National Team Development Program. Like, if you don't know, it's the US NTDPL is. And he'll be playing against guys that are like him. I prospect. I think Jake Sanderson's got a chance to be that. I really liken his game to Ryan McDonough. I like that kind of thing for him. I don't think he's overtly offensive. A lot of people say he's a good defensive player now. He needs to work defense. That's my pick on him. The one I think that's going to benefit the most, and I think it'll be juniors, is Jamie Drysdale. He's not going to play this year. There's no chance you put a rookie defenseman like that who's got very obvious flaws in his game in the NHL. You let him go back for, I'd say, a year. I think, depending on the team, maybe two. If he goes to a team that's good, so we'll just, I know this probably won't happen. Let's say he goes to the Avalanche. He's not playing next year. He's probably playing in two years. If he goes to a team like the Senators, or which is very likely, or even a team like Chicago or something, he's playing in about a year. So that's what I would say is those two players have a very high chance of doing that. So that's what I would say for the draft. I'm also going to do a draft piece for the site too. Before we wrap today, I just wanted to get real quickly on the baseball thing. Did you guys see the whole opt-out stuff that's going on? Yeah. So no, I didn't get to see the whole opt-out. So there's a couple of players who are saying they might opt out. We've already had Ian Desmond. I'll pull up your list, actually. So, David Price, Felix yeah. Hernandez, Mike Leake, Ryan Zimmerman, Joe Ross. And potentially the biggest one who might opt out is Mike Trout. And then you had a day later, Joe Madden, his coach, saying, if you're not, not necessarily directed at him, but if you're not willing to play this sport during this, you're not a, you're a star athlete. You're not cut out for it. You don't have the game drive or whatever, which is that would be the single dumbest statement I've heard is to say Mike Trout is not, he played with basically cardboard cutouts for the past six years. So I'm pretty sure he's got the drive to play baseball. Yeah, wait, I just don't wait, wait, understand. Wait, wait, Joe Madden's in Anaheim? Yeah, Joe Madden's the Anaheim Angels coach now. Oh, wow. So that's even more, is it? So it makes you wonder if that was, you know, targeted at Mike Trout. I don't, I can't imagine if it is. He shouldn't have a job if it is. I think that baseball as a whole throughout this whole pandemic and everything has dropped the ball the most compared to <laughs> every other league where, yeah. like, it took them so long just to figure out, are we even playing when pretty much Immediately after start, stuff started calming down, at least in some areas in North America, the NHL was like, hey, we're getting back to it. We'll be back with, like, this is what we're planning. We're going to go straight to a play-in and then play-off. NBA is like, yeah, we're going to play in Disney. And NFL is like, we're crossing that bridge when we get there because we don't know what's going to happen in August, which is fair. But the MLB is just like, there's, in my mind, compared to more contact-driven sports, they really dropped the ball, in my mind, out of doing anything. They borderline did nothing until anything real until late June. And it's absolutely appalling in my mind that it took them this long to actually do something at all. Like, even the NHL, they had a rule about, like, Gary Bettman released a statement about players opting out. Any player can opt out at any reason whatsoever. No questions asked with no penalties on their contract. And then in the MLB, you got Madden, like you're saying, like basically calling out these players for not wanting to play in what they feel is not safe conditions. They don't want to play? Fine. Is your team going to suck because you're missing Mike Trout? Yeah, yeah, but that's what we're dealing with right now. What if in the NHL, Connor McDavid called out of playing in Edmonton? How bad would Edmonton be? They'd borderline be well, okay still because of Leon Dreisaitl, but I don't think you should be belittling players who don't want to play in these conditions, especially in a situation that was as poorly handled as the MLB. I agree with you. I think, honestly, it's just stupid at this point to do that, especially if you're the coach of the best player in the world. Yeah, and even jumping, I think out of all the leagues, the, the league that has played it the best in North America is the NHL. Because yeah, not only did they that. have to come to terms, it, like looking across the world, I think the best league to do it in general was the German Bundesliga. They got back to playing in June, and they've been fine. <laughs> like, 
Granted, in Europe, their situation's a little bit differently. They handle the whole COVID thing differently, so it's going to have different results, yes. But if you look at how the German Bundesliga and even the English Premier League played it out, they're doing so much better than what a North American sports are. But when you look at North American sports, the league that's done it the best is the NHL and Gary Bettman leading that cause. And I give them many props for doing this. But, like, it just drives me insane that a league borderline did nothing for three months. And we're like, hey, we've been told 82-game season starting up July, and now it's a 60-game season. Oh, we might be lucky if we get to 60 for the MLB. It's ridiculous. It's definitely an interesting situation. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Well, do we have any more things we want to get to today, Marker? Because you kind of drive the show. I mean, there's, the only thing that I can think of is, well, there's two things, but they're both with football. The first is the NFL has cut the preseason in half, and they might keep that moving forward, having it two games instead of four. And David Joku requested a trade from the Browns. I saw the Joku thing, which, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't want to, I've always been of the mindset to get away with preseason, like, for any, every sport, I've been very anti for a while, so... Yeah, I under I, I like doing exhibition games and like spring training for baseball, but I don't necessarily like preseason a whole lot in like any sport because, it, yeah, you're trying to see how rosters will trim down, but I don't see much of a benefit because even preseason, you're still not at full game speeds. So you're not getting the best look of the players anyway. And, and okay, I know this is about football, baseball, playing an entire month of baseball games that don't count. Like you're playing thirty some games. Yeah, basically playing with double-A and triple-A players. You don't even see the MLB starters really until the last week of spring training. I even think they're barely trying. Yeah. It's like, and even when you look at football, it's it's like, you know who the roster is going to be for almost yeah. every every position. The only thing you're going to be trying out is like if you lost a main guy or if two guys are really head-on close. But that's, you can't simulate full game speed. And even in preseason, they're not trying as hard unless they're, like, really, really trying to make a bid for a starting spot. But the, the teams know who the starters are going to be. And even if we jump in the NHL, the training coaches know who they want anyway before they – and the head coach even knows who he wants anyway. So it's like the preseason I don't think is doing anything. I really yeah. think the NFL should look into having a development league or something. They really should. Because, like, really, like, with, like, these prospects and young players, the only, like, live action they can really do is the preseason. And, like, that's it, really. That's why we see so many busts come out of the drafts, because it's like they really don't get that much practice outside of what they did at college football. Yeah, they don't get much development. If there was a minor league, even one league, like a minor league equivalent for the NFL, like, obviously, with baseball, we have the AAA, AA, single A, blah, blah, blah. The NBA, we got, like, the summer leagues and everything. They have their own development program. The NHL, we have the AHL, and the players go over to Europe and everything. The entire soccer system across the entire world is practically a development system, apart from the number one leagues in the world. The NFL doesn't have any development. College is their development, and they don't have anything. And like what you said, we've had so many busts. Like, if you look at players that were highly touted and they had nothing for a career, it's because they sat on the bench for one or two years, lost their game, and when it was finally game time, they can't get it back. So, like, even obviously me being Bama-related, like Trent Richardson, he was a big bust. He should have had some development opportunities below the starting game of NFL. You look at players like... Players who panned out, like Donta Hightower, C.J. Mosley, and everything, they don't necessarily need that. Like, Saquon Barkley jumping away from that, they don't need that. But what about all the players, like, that need that extra step, like A.J. McCarron sitting on the bench four years behind Andy Dalton, not getting any playtime? And then when he's finally thrust into the situation, he didn't do great, but he did okay. And now he's a backup quarterback for the rest of his life when, who knows, if Tom Brady can be a seventh-round pick and develop into a superstar, who knows if a fifth-round pick quarterback with the right development can't do the same? I don't even remember what the question was in the first place. It was like, if the NFL had a development league like other leagues, would we see less busts? Oh, we called it the CFL. Honestly, no one really pays attention or cares about the CFL. That's the fair. CFL is its own league with their own different rules. Like I, When we went to Toronto to see the 
Hockey Hall of Fame, and I saw my first Canadian football game. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of different rules in the CFL. Yeah, and that's not knocking the CFL. It's too different than the NFL, in my opinion, to be a development league. And that's knocking the CFL in its own right, because like what I watched, it was entertaining. It wasn't NFL level, but it was entertaining. Yeah, same thing with arena football. Arena football is like wacky. It's too. too different. It's too different to be developmental. And borderline the same thing with college because college has their own different set of rules. Like college, it's one foot for inbounds as opposed to NFL where it's two. You have different plays like pass interference is a 15-yard penalty in college where in the NFL it's spot of the foul. You have a a whole bunch of different rules. Like the extra point in college is still from the two-yard line as opposed to what, the 15 in the NFL or the 19, whatever the heck it is now. It's like it, even then, college is even borderline too different in terms of rule sets to be considered development, which it is. That's their prospect program. Like the NBA drafting people out of high school and the MLB drafting people out of high school, you don't see anyone getting drafted out of high school for the NFL because they have that age rule, so they have to go to college. But you get that max of four years, five years if you were redshirted as a freshman or if you had a major injury, maybe you'll get a sixth year at the very most, but there's no development in the NFL. And I think it's hurting the game for all of these like prospect stories that we see in other sports, like Lundquist being a ninth round pick. And now he's a career New York Ranger. It's like, you don't see that anywhere else. Yeah. Pecorino players that were drafted, like borderline dead last, like you get it occasionally. Yeah, you get that the, occasionally in the NFL, like Tom Brady being the biggest name there, but you don't see that as often as you do in other sports because there is no development. You're right. That's my take on the tangent. <laughs> All right, well, do we want to wrap it there then? Yeah. All right, well, as always, thanks for listening. You can find us now on Apple and Spotify, finally, after a year and a half. So please make sure to give us a subscribe there, and if you like it, you can rate it. Don't be afraid comments either we're always looking to see what we can do better but until next time keep it locked and we'll see you next week with probably more hockey news